Let's pray before we look again at God's word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that you speak to us of not just life and salvation, but of how to live as your people as we await the Lord Jesus' return. We pray that as we look at your word now, you would help us to see how to live according to your word, that we may be blessed and honour the name of Jesus in our lives. Amen. Well, in Australia today and the, the West generally, Christians are very much in the minority. Uh, gone are the days when the majority of the population went to church or went to Sunday school or at least said that they did. Uh, the majority of Australians now claim an association to Christianity, uh, much like many of us claim an association with a football club that we don't watch unless they're really winning. Most Australians, though, live as practical atheists. And what does that mean? Well, it means that although they believe in the existence of God, they know that God is out there. They live as if God doesn't exist. They live without reference to God in their life. Uh, they live with no impact from him on the way they live. It's as if he doesn't exist when you look at their lives. Most Christian, most Australians and most people in the West now live as practical atheists. And that makes Christians in Australia, people who do believe in God and do listen to his word, very much the minority. How should we live as a small minority within secular Australia? What particular challenges does being a minority bring? Are there spiritual dangers in being a believer in the post-Christian West? Well, someone who might help us with these issues is a young man called Daniel. And we're going to meet Daniel over the next few weeks as we do this series. Daniel is someone who lived thousands of years ago, but his situation is really similar to ours. Have a look at his situation in the first couple of verses of the book of Daniel. It'll come up on the screen. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So these verses are quite bare and simple, but they relate a whole series of traumas. It relates the, the destruction of the southern kingdom of Israel, called Judah, in 586 BC. When the Babylonians came and took the city and they destroyed Jerusalem, many people died and many of the nobility were taken as captives to Babylon. And da Daniel was one of those young nobles. And he now finds himself in a very similar situation to us. He's now in the minority in what is a foreign culture. But not only is it a foreign culture, it is a triumphant and dominant culture. 
like Australia is today, Babylon back then was wealthy, successful at war, and technologically advanced. And Daniel was like this tiny fish in a small pool who'd been captured and dragged by the big fish into the deep ocean. And there he's being made to swim with the big fish. Daniel was a man in a very tough situation. He was part of a defeated and probably demoralized minority in a triumphant culture that was oh so dominant. And friends, that is often how it feels for us too. For Christianity is no longer the dominant force in our society. Gone are the days of the majority coming to church, or at least pretending that they were coming to church. Those days are gone. The media, the true rulers of our society, is almost universally hostile to Christianity. As are many of our universities and academics and now schools. In a lot of ways, we are similar to Israel at the time of Daniel. We are like that defeated minority captured in, in a triumphant culture that's dominant. And so we can both sympathize with Daniel's plight and he can teach us lessons on how to live in that situation. And the first thing he teaches us is that we will face a great spiritual danger. And you can see it starting in verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned for them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. The great spiritual danger that Daniel faces is assimilation with this dominant culture, this triumphant culture. They want Daniel to become one of them. And in verse 4, we see Daniel is to be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians, including their religious literature, obviously. In verse 5, he is to eat their food. In verse 7, he is given a Babylonian name even. And yes, named after Babylonian gods they were. The great danger for Daniel is that he will become a Babylonian. The great danger is that he'll trade the law and the prophets, the culture of the Old Testament Israel, for this powerful and seductive Babylonian culture. Daniel faces the danger of assimilation into the majority. 
And it's a very real danger for Daniel because Babylonian culture looks so good. I mean, they are the winners. They are the ones who've created this great empire that spans, well, all the bits of the known world that's worth having at the time. They are the best of the best, or so it appears. And if Daniel does conform, there are real privileges available for him. Education, wealth, the honour and privilege of eating the king's food, which is amazing, even apart from the fact that it's a guaranteed supply of food in an age where that's a rare thing. And yes, I'm sure they had good morning tea as well. Uh, the problem with Babylonian culture for Daniel is that it looks so good. And the problem is also that as he looks back at his own culture, it seems so puny and like a failure in comparison. Remember that in the ancient world, the gods of your nation were supposed to defend it. Now we know from the rest of scriptures that it's the judgment of the Lord, the God of Israel, that Israel's in exile. But you can imagine that those around him were saying, <laughs> the Lord, why would you follow him? He's a loser God. You can move past that and join us in, in worshipping our sophisticated gods. The winner gods. Babylonian culture is all too seductive. It looks like a winner and has the potential to seduce him away from his Israelite beliefs in the Lord, the God of Israel. And friends, that is also the danger that we face from our dominant Australian culture. For Christians are constantly asked to conform to what the majority says or does. And each day there's gentle peer pressure and with splashes of open pressure to conform to whatever it is that our society thinks is the right way and not God's way. And you might feel this pressure as you go to school or go to work or spend time with your family or switch on whatever media you watch and watch it. It's one of the key spiritual dangers that Christians face in Australia and indeed across the West. And that danger is that we'll become just like our neighbours who do not believe in Jesus. So what does Daniel do? Well, we see what he does in verse 8. Have a look at verse 8. Daniel, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. 
What's interesting about that verse is also what's not said. You see, it's interesting to note that Daniel doesn't reject the Babylonian language and literature. He learns it and he reads it. Uh, and he doesn't reject his new Babylonian name either. But he does reject the king's food. At that point, Daniel says no. And it might appear strange for us as to why he does that. Well, it's because eating the king's food would directly conflict with God's word for Daniel. You see, the Old Testament had very clear commands in regards to the food that the Israelites could eat. Eating the king's food would mean breaking these food laws. Hence the word defilement that you can see there. Now, we know that the Old Testament food laws have since been declared obsolete by Jesus in Mark chapter 7. But at the time of Daniel, they were still in force. They were God's commands in his day for him to obey. And it was an act of faith for him to say, yes, I will do what you say, God, even when it comes to what I put in my mouth. And Daniel decides to obey God's word rather than Babylonian culture. I wonder if you can see what Daniel is doing here. He's accepting his host culture up to a point. The point at which it conflicts directly with God's word. And at that point, he says, no, thank you. I won't conform. It's as if he draws a line in the sand and he says, I'm happy to come up to here. But I'm not going to go any further. I won't cross this line because it would be wrong for me to do so. Daniel draws a line in the sand and he sets himself up to obey God's word and to suffer the consequences. And friends, this should be our strategy as Christians living as a minority in Australian culture. We should also accept lots of things from our culture. But at the point at which it conflicts with God's word, we say, no, thank you. I will not go there. For there is lots of wonderful things in Australian culture that we can and should enjoy and partake in. You know, things like barbecues and the love of sport, uh, mateship, and if you like wearing them, dryser bones. Nothing wrong with it. But when Aussie culture conflicts with God's word, we ought to stick with God's way. We should stay on God's line that is drawn in the sand. So let's think about this practically. Let's look at examples of this principle. When we're at school and our mates are saying to using terrible language, or they're putting other people down, or they're showing a really bad attitude towards teachers, 
That's when we say, no. But we still have friends who are non-Christians at school. And we don't cut ourselves off from them. Or when we get older and we can and should, if we feel like it, have a drink with our mates down the local pub. But we should draw the line at excessive drinking in any form and definitely draw the line at getting into a pub fight. We can and should enjoy sport in all the myriad forms at which Australians enjoy. Sport is awesome fun. And it's a great way of being a part of a community. But friends, we also need to not be obsessive about our sport. Or for it to replace Jesus in our lives. Because we're so much excited about that than we are about Jesus. We can and should work hard, for that's part of our culture as Australians, to be hard workers. But workaholism is another thing altogether. When we can't fulfil our duties to our family, or we're too busy at work for church, or meeting with other Christians, then something's wrong, and we might need to recalibrate. We can and should do lots of things with Aussie culture because there's so much in Aussie culture that's absolutely awesome. But where it conflicts with God's word, that's where we say no. So in one sense, we as Christians are incredibly flexible. And we will flex on the things that don't matter. But on the things of God's word, we are as flexible as steel. We don't budge. That's the way it should be. That's what Daniel did. And that's what we should do. Now, if you're like me, you then think about, well, gosh, am I going to be missing out? Or is our society going to crush us if we don't conform? Well, the interesting thing is looking at what happened to Daniel. In verses 12 to 16, Daniel proposes a simple test. It's the veggie test. For those who love veggie tales, this is one for you. Give us veggies for 10 days and see if we're okay. And the aim is to see which diet is better, the Babylonian diet or God's diet. Now, you and I know that 10 days of eating one particular food is probably not going to make a massive difference to your health and well-being. So there is a miraculous element to the fact that the person comes back and say, you look fabulous. You can keep having your veggies Daniel and his friends are saved by God here. They take their stand and God delivers them. 
They aren't executed or imprisoned by their hosts, the Babylonians. Instead, they're allowed to be different. And friends, generally, when Christians in this country stand on their principles, they're actually respected for it, rather than derided, at least by most people. Most non-Christians actually respect Christians who genuinely are living out their faith as best they can. And the opinion of those who don't is usually not worth worrying about. Generally speaking, we Christians are, are probably over-fearful of what will happen if we don't conform. Quite often we are jumping at shadows. For if we take our stand on God's word, we won't be disappointed. Our society won't and can't crush us for doing God's will. For at the end of the day, it cannot take heaven from us. In the end, God will always save his servants. But often there's temporal bonus as well. And we see that in this passage in the next few verses. Have a look at verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So God gives them wisdom. And this knowledge that they have would have included Babylonian language and literature. That is, God gives them success at the Babylonians' own game. God gives them wisdom. And this leads to the second part of the bonus God gives them in verses 19 to 20. For Daniel and his friends also received recognition from the Babylonians for all this wisdom. Far from being ridiculed for being different, they are actually honoured for their wisdom and by the king himself. Wow. Wow. And then to top it all off, you see the, the most amazing mercy, the crowning mercy, if you like, in verse 21. Be careful, you might miss it. Have a look there in verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now we can miss the, the significance of that because we don't know who King Cyrus is. But if I told you that King Cyrus is actually a Persian king, does that change your thinking? You see, the third part of the bonus for, that God gives Daniel is longevity in office. Cyrus is the Persian king who conquers the Babylonian Empire. And so Daniel outlasts the king, he outlasts his successor, and he outlasts the entire Babylonian culture that seems so dominant and so successful. He even went on to work for the next empire, and we see that in chapter 6 of Daniel under King Darius. Far from his stand destroying his career, God gave Daniel a long and successful career. Wow. 
you see the cultures that seem so amazing and so successful and so dominant will all disappear. Where is the Persian Empire today? It's gone too. Along with the Roman Empire and, well, most empires of the ancient world are gone. Even the British Empire is no more. Though we do have this Commonwealth thing that hangs around. We get to have friendly games, which means more sport for us Aussies. Kingdoms come and kingdoms fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Friends, the Christian way of life, the believer's way, God's way, is the best way. And we will not be ripped off if we live according to God's word. We won't miss out in the long run. God's way is the best way. And God honours those who honour him. Not only will he save us in the long run, we often find lots of bonuses in the meantime, like Daniel. And Jesus sums it up for us in his words in Matthew 6.33. He says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The person who puts God first in their lives, God will not disappoint. Not only do you have salvation and heaven, but God will look after your life here as well. All these things will be given to you as well. And that means we won't run out of food or drink or clothes. We won't miss out on having friends, at least not real friends, who accept us for who we are. And there may, yes, be times of trial and testing and difficulty and persecution. But God will bring us through all of these. If we stick with God, he will not let us down. So, friends, let us not be intimidated by the dominant Australian culture. Let's study God's word so that we know where to draw the line accurately. And then let's stick to God's word. For if we do, God will not let us down. As Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do we believe it? Then let's live it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your great mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your word that encourages us as we await his return. Living in a society that seems at times so opposed to that which is in your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would watch over us and help us to trust you and your word through all things. Help us, like Daniel, to know where to draw the line in the sand and then draw it and stick to it.
come what may. And may we, having done that, see you save your people yet again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.